Hey, wonderfuls. Welcome to episode 529 of the JV Club with my marvelous guest, Alex Steed. If you are a listener to, for example, You Are Good or You're Wrong About, then you probably already have a working knowledge of the fantastic human being that is Alex Steed. Also, the partner of Carolyn Kendrick, who I had a couple of weeks ago, and uh, I loved this conversation. Listen, I'm not saying anything new here. Uh, I feel like I say that on every intro, but gosh, I think Alex is fantastic. So we really enjoyed our conversation. I would go ahead and assume that Alex did. I'm going to speak on his behalf in this moment. He was a wonderful boy of summer, and uh, I hope everyone is doing well. Uh, yes, I did survive the Southern California hurricane and earthquake, did not feel the earthquake, Definitely feeling the results of the rain from the hurricane. But at the end of the day, listen, I'm not going to launch into all the things that are happening in all places of the world. But all I can say is I feel still very grateful to be where I am and sending lots of love to any of you who have been more deeply affected by latest weather events and beyond. All right. Enjoy this episode with Alex. Face in one minute to two minutes. It's crazy. I'm glad we're doing this because it inspired me to reach out to your husband for coffee. So (laughs) I'm glad we're doing this for many reasons, but I'm I'm glad I'm glad to see your face and I will be glad to see his face soon. I have certainly exploited uh, my podcast and podcast appearances in general to nurture friendships that otherwise especially with people traveling so much and just the kind of unpredictability of today's working world Um, yeah for uh, real yeah it's it's goofy when we started you are good i think like we got like five episodes in before i realized that i was like i just want this to be people i want to be friends with like i just like want this whole opportunity to be to like hang with people we want to be friends with yeah and then so it's all working i guess it is all working and i think you know i i was just having a conversation um with someone (laughs) on a podcast because that's friendships (laughs) um about that like just sort of being a person who enjoys having like not it's not the 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 sort of most cynical point of view which we all make fun of is this idea of like nothing is worth existing unless it's getting recorded or like going out to the public um but i think it's like on a real true level it's less that and more just like I like a game night. I like something totally. organized. I like going to a s- certain dinner with people in a certain Absolutely. Group. Like, opposed to just like, I guess I'll go to my neighborhood bar and see what happens. Like, I yeah. sort of like a structure un- around friendship, you know? No, for sure. I absolutely. And I, yeah, I think like usually what people are complaining about when they complain about that is they're upset that literally everything has been monetized. And I, uh, right. and I am fully on board. Like, I wish someone just gave me you know, a hundred grand a year and then said, do whatever you want to do. And I would, and I'm sure the structure of everything would shift slightly or whatever. And that would be great. But I think that that's the primary complaint when people are complaining about that. And like, I honestly love knowing that at least once a week, 
I'm going to have a conversation that will refresh my point of view in some way or like Absolutely. I'll learn about people or like be able to be vulnerable and like that's kind of the sh- the space we intentionally created you know so uh, I'm yeah, I'm all for it and I wish I could do that with more things but I can't I'm just organized <laughs> Oh are you disorganized? <laughs> As a producer that, yeah. I'm organized on everyone else's behalf professionally. Understood. And I find it very easy to show up for me last. Uh-huh. Yep. <laughs> Has that always been true? Do you feel like that's a reflection yeah, of- Yeah, for sure. Yeah. It's like my, I joke that at least for me, and I, I think increasingly the more people I I know who do whatever, um, uh, for me, I, I've just monetized my trauma response to my childhood, and <laughs> which was like- which was being the jester slash organizer in a codependent structured household, you know? So jester slash organizer is that's like two jobs. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the jester is for survival and the, the, um, the organizer is because no one else, well, if no one else is going to do it, who's going to do it? Two survivals. (laughs) (laughs) Two survivals. Yeah, Were you absolutely. are you an only child or do you I am an only of my mother's. Got it. And I am my father's fifth. I'm okay. my father's only child. That might be wrong. I might be my father's sixth. I for some reason I don't know how I don't know. Well, let's got, get him in here. Like, Hello. Yeah, totally. if, if he was here, it would be <laughs> crazy considering his death. So, I would <laughs> Well, my mom's also here. Let's bring him really, back. Up. This is going to be really fun. <laughs> They've become close. I would, I'm so glad that you've mastered the art of, of however you made that possible. Yes. I'm my mother's only child. I was raised essentially as an only child. All of my siblings were like a generation older. So they were like aunt aged and one uncle aged who was just kind of never around. Yeah. And then I was young and able-bodied and flexibly employed when my father was like kind of sick and I was young so I ended up kind of just like taking care of him plus he just needed you know he was like a very much a man of a of a certain time still of this time a little bit where he just like needed everyone around him to take care of him and I think like silently didn't consciously expect that but certainly put everyone in a in a situation where they had to you know do that right Right. Everyone includes your half siblings and your mom or. Yeah, for sure. I think like everyone he encountered, there was an expectation that it was like, um, take care of me or get out. Um, And and not again, not consciously. And and I have great both sympathy and empathy for for him and understanding kind of like how he got to that place. But like, yeah, I think like he was a I think for a long time it was presented. And this is the thing I've had to reconcile as I've gotten older is I used to think that like he was like salty and no nonsense and really that was like kind of a form of policing every interaction you know what I mean Mm -hmm. like as he was like he he certainly didn't suffer fools um but also he didn't really suffer anyone who wasn't um in service of his expectation (laughs) (laughs) and so so I've I've over time like I did that whole thing where I I was in my 30s. Someone asked this question on Twitter the other day or whatever it's called now. Someone asked this question um, 
about like they and they're younger they were like do you eventually get over this phase where you have a bunch of friends who like pretend to like you but they don't actually like you or what and I thought Mm -hmm. so much about like friendships in your 30s and people talk about how that's like a difficult thing or whatever but I think like throughout a lot of my 30s I realized that a lot of my friendships from my 20s were over because I think that I was like, I have no time for bullshit. Like it's your, it's you, you know, let's, let's not do small talk. Like all that kind of stuff where you think that like you're speaking to like some kind of truth and cutting out people who don't make any sense for you or whatever. And then I realized that I was just kind of, I think maybe internalizing a lot of the stuff that he did that I thought was like toughness and it turns out it was just like emotional cowardice mm-hmm. God, there's so many things you touched on that um, I want to try and cover number one it is a shocking to me how fast my mind quickly flashed in and out when you said you had a lot of sympathy and empathy for him how quickly I thought of William H. Macy in Pleasantville going, oh, sure, where's sure. my dinner? Sure, <laughs> like, sure, yes. I'm sure the movie is complicated. I haven't watched <laughs> it in many years. But, I saw um, it in the theater. I yeah, randomly I mean, I remember. I definitely yeah. did too. And, <laughs> and I think there was the sense of like, wow, that's really, like it did a decent job of kind of doing the sort of like they were a product of their times. Like you can't sort of do, like behave this way with a person and give them that message their whole life, and then at totally. a certain point in their life, be like, "What's wrong with you?" Da 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 da. Simple as that. Right. Imagine if someone foisted that on you. Like we all like to think that we're, you know, super evolved, totally. but it, there could be a thing that if tomorrow some someone was like, "Wait a minute, you didn't know that." And I always use this as an example because it's a, a, a source of tremendous guilt and confusion for me. The idea of like 50 years from now, people being like, can you believe that people just stepped over people who are like dying of fentanyl? Oh, sh- on the street? sure, like, sure, sure. Just the idea yeah. of like, like, no, no, no. 2020, the 2020 people were monsters. Yeah, they yeah, yeah, were yeah. garbage people. Yeah. You know what I mean? That like, yeah. because we look back and we're like, Ew, people totally. enslaved. I can't believe they did Ew, no, the I just Germans. Assume... Ew, we would never. You know what I mean? I think you just have to assume, excuse me, this is the thing that I have assumed and recognized and I think I've gotten to a point of like actually comfortably and not just like rhetorically or philosophically embracing that you're wrong. Like yeah. your you like your take, especially any comfortable takes, is incorrect, and it has nothing to do with your character necessarily, and it has nothing to do with like who you are fundamentally as a person. But like, you received bad information from other very well intended people who received bad information before them, and then every time it like settles into a thing where you're like, I think I finally got it. You certainly don't, and yeah. and that's cool. Like I think that that's like. If you can, if you can embrace that and not just like live in abject terror, that's fine. And a lot of that on my end probably comes from, I don't know what's like, again, I don't, everything's wrong. I don't know what's a good or bad place anymore, but like I have dabbled in and out of uh, like Zen Buddhist perspectives and practice uh, over time. And, and the understanding has always been, at least within those places that if you, any level of comfort comes from some either collective external or individual internal deception. And so you kind of like constantly have to be ready to adjust that in some way and assume that you are going to be 
embarrassed or humbled or whatever on, on quite a regular basis. And, and that's ideal, actually, because if you are, that means that you're still vulnerable enough to understand that there are places for improvement. Absolutely. And, and, and yet at the same time, we can see how some that is terrifying to yeah. someone who looks at it and immediately jumps to like a societal level and is like, well, For somebody sure. has to know what's going on or otherwise chaos. And, you know, sort of you totally. see all of the complicated conversations about that and where the fear lives and where the sort of, you know, pushing back lives. And um, yeah. And uh, yeah, I feel the exact same way. And I always I, I feel like that's kind of the tap dance of my of like this decade of my life is <laughs> trying to allow for the possibility that I'm wrong about everything all the time, but still have some fundamental like respect for myself and humankind and yes. move forward in a way that doing the best you can doesn't feel like a cop out. Totally. Do you know what I mean? Totally. And you're so right about like that 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 era of time when you sort of tell yourself like, you know, like like that the era that you're talking about about kind of cutting people out and <laughs> I mean that's something that still it's, it feels less pervasive than it did even like five years ago. But the whole conversation around like, well, if someone's toxic, yeah. like and and that sort of gets thrown oh, around in Absolutely. this way that feels very dangerous to me because because if we are afraid and 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 vulnerable human beings like when do you know that you're totally. right about that versus there's something in you that's like resistant to communication or yeah, like definitely. all of that is just such a mind fuck no absolutely <laughs> and i think like kind of necessarily particularly in your i would say like from like your quote you know saturn return you're like 28 to 29 through 40 is an inherently tumultuous time because you got to adulthood, then you spent the next decade more or less like, you know, kind of living off of like kind of a forward propulsive inertia of like everything you had been to that point. And I'm not saying by any means you're coasting. A lot of people do this very intelligently and very sort of consciously. But in my case, I was like, well, I got to adulthood. Now everything is just like that plus responsibility, like everything right. that I was to that point plus responsibility. If you kind of focus on or pay attention to the shifts that come later and sort of like the things that they speak to, it's extremely and extraordinarily tumultuous because it's a it's a constant reexamination of relationships. It's a constant reexamination of self. It's a constant all of these different things. And inherently... You know, unless you're just fine with going like, I'll just stay this way and I'm just going to sort of dig in and stay this way. And a lot of people are fine with that. I mean, I think like, you know, like January 6th, among many other things, was a bunch of people being like, I want to stay this way. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, or I want to I want to live under the illusion that we can be a particular way all the time. And then yeah. there's obviously hate and a bunch of other stuff involved there. Unless you're sort of embedded in staying that way, you will find yourself living in discordance and you will find yourself questioning a lot of your a lot of your friendships a lot of your relationships again your relationship with self and that will you know I think for a long time I was like all these people who I thought were my friends or all these people I thought were my peers are like you know, their values are actually kind of fucked up. Like they spend time just sort of talking shit about the same people all the time, or they kind of have the same conversations all the time. In my case, I cut myself out of a lot of that. And then I realized that I was like, well, I was there too. You know what I mean? <laughs> <Right>. Like, <laughs> like, 
it didn't just it it wasn't something that lived extremely external to me. So then so then you realize that it's not just a matter of dealing with all these external things. It's actually a matter of sort of recalibrating the internal things. So like really, if you're if you're 27, buckle up because shit's about to get <laughs> <Yeah>. real. <laughs> Totally, totally. Yeah, there's nothing that feels temporarily better than being like, I've realized I will lift myself out of yeah. this environment and give myself a pat on the back, you know? Totally, totally. Um, where, yeah. So, okay, so let's put your teenage years in context. Where yes. were you a teenage human? I was um, in... I was living in Cornish, Maine, which then was a town of about 1200 people and now maybe is a town of 1400 people and uh okay. I went to a I went to a a high school called Sockaby Valley High School which was a district high school so there were five towns represented. There were the building because the school was so small housed 8th through 12th grade. So I always thought that high school was 8th through 12th grade, which it is yeah. not. And there were I think at most like 420 430 students in eighth through twelfth grade in this town. Oh, okay. So it was it was we. And it was very we. Yes. Is that a, like you know when I think about it's funny because it's springing off of the idea of th people wanting things to stay the same and thinking about some of the places I've lived that have kind of like you know given into the sprawl, if you mm. will. Um, when you say that a town started at you know twelve hundred yeah. and may have accumulated two hundred more, is that because it's kind of geographically isolated? Is it because it mm. sort of wants to be that way and sort of like assigns itself that, you know? It's like just far. And so a lot of this changed in, in 2018 when like all housing values changed kind of at once. Like there yeah. was, you know, I think you... I think a lot of people might not realize that what happened in 2018 is actually kind of like a rare thing where like every house everywhere with very few exceptions essentially doubled in value. And often what happens is like houses in a particular area go up a particular value and then houses in another area because of like proximity to work, et cetera. So yeah. before that, the situation was just that Cornish was just a hair too far from the the quote city which is portland um for people to be able to go and establish their lives there and then you know for it to be like essentially like a bedroom community it, it, it was too a little too far mm -hmm. and then when that th you know that happened with the the values i think it became more in play because the percentage you know, because the values of homes like in the greater Portland area did go up, but then the percentage of uh, uh, the percentage the percentage of the homes went up out in the Cornish area too. But then people were like, "Well, it's still the last most affordable thing, so I'll drive an extra fifteen minutes in order to get into work." Got it. It doesn't have growth aspirations. Like I don't think until the '90s when I was in school. It was still kind of on the last legs of being a 20th century agricultural center, mm. not center, but a place that made its its money off of being a 20th century sort of agricultural economy. Yeah. And when I say that, I mean, like you could, you know, you could have a family farm and actually be competitive. And then mm. kind of all that stuff went out the window. Obviously, there's still like farms and farmers markets and cute little people, you know, making, you know, homemade pesto for $18 a jar at their house, you know, like there's still that sort of thing, but like 
you know, family farm as institution is no longer really there in the same way that it was. It's, it, you know, a lot of the farms that I grew up around are now some other thing or some other mm. business or like an Airbnb, a pastoral, you know, place a to go. A place and, to go get married. And exactly. It's like a very taken. 21st century agricultural right. thing, which is agriculture is like 11th on the list of 10 things that um, are, are they're focused on. Yeah. So as a, as a kid there, did you have that sort of sense of, oh, my God, I'm in such a small place? Oh, yeah, I was what in What am I going to do? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> I was like, um, I, so I, my parents moved there because my aunt lived, lived there. My parents moved there from Malden, Massachusetts, which is like a suburb of Boston, mm. when I was five. Um, my parents got divorced when I was 12, and... Uh, I moved with my mom down to the Boston area for like a year. And then I ended up moving back and kind of living mm -hmm. with my dad. And uh, when I was th from 13 on in this, the same place that I grew up in because I thought that I wanted to get out of there really badly, but like the sort of the situation with my parents wasn't great. The situation at the school of being like a new kid in an absentee sort of situation wasn't fantastic. So I ended up going back to Maine, but I felt like, you know, if I, I had like, I had like a lot of lovely friendships and I knew a lot of uh, nice people and I was fortunate to have some, some, you know, to eke out some good relationships with teachers and stuff like that. But I truly felt like my entire existence should be devoted to not being defined by the place I grew up in because mm. I felt like the people I knew who that was really important to, to like sort of like be from and of the town and represent the values of it in ways that I can kind of appreciate better now and sort of deconstruct in a more meaningful way. I appreciate, but at that time I was just like, it feels like death. Uh-huh. You know? Yeah. What do you, like there's a, there's say, a, there's a line, there's a, sorry to, I'm so sorry no, to interrupt, no. but there's, there's a line in a Silver Jews song um, uh, called Tennessee in which, you know, David Berman is imagining leaving Louisville where he was before to go to Tennessee, which he, he did, he and Cassie Berman did, and, and she sings in the song as well. And he's, there's a line where he says, you know, Louisville is death. And like, mm. I, I, that line was so resonant to how I felt my entire childhood was it was like you were um you were living among the dead and you needed Oof. to escape in some way that's heavy that's really <laughs> heavy so when you say that you can appreciate it now in a more deconstructed way can you give a couple of examples or even an example of kind of what you mean by like appreciating yeah. it well it just didn't strike me that I love teenagers generally, and I, I do a lot of. I have historically done a lot of work with teens in, in both like volunteer and professional capacity, and there's so many great things about them. But one thing that they typically lack that comes later is is an appreciation for nuance, mm -hmm. and so it didn't strike me at the time that different people would love that area for different reasons. I just thought that they all loved it because you know the area said here are the reasons you would love this area because of this, this, and this. The people who and specifically that those values were upheld by the kinds of guys that would like threaten to kick the shit out of you every day, you know, yeah. while like showing off their trucks and like, you know, like a very stereotypical like 90s idea of a rural bully. I went to high school with a lot of those guys and they they presented 
the values of like lo- this these Jason Aldean values of like loving the small town. You can do and do whatever you want and get away with whatever you want. And and you could if you were a particular sort of person who proclaimed pr- specific sorts of allegiances to mm. rural lifestyle aesthetic, etc. More than anything, it prided itself on not being curious or vulnerable or interested. Mm. And and increasingly, I know people who I grew up with and went to school with who were very sensitive, very lovely people who like have gone back to the area just because they value the um, community or they value sort of the um, the proximity to to being able to see stars in the sky or like they have all of these different reasons and I'm sure people had those different reasons then I just couldn't see them because I was terrified of the people who symbolize loving the town of course of course so where are you finding that feeling of being seen or feeling known in some way I'm finding it online I like when I was 11 years old in the sixth grade I might have been 10 or 11 I can't remember my teacher came in and like brought in her own computer and like hooked it up to a phone line and showed us that like essentially the internet was a thing and I remember I felt like that class was only for me like I felt like it was like one of those things where it's like I think I might be the only person in the class like I think that this lesson is for me yeah it felt so promising and then my my uncle was a computer programmer and so whenever we would like visit him I was like can I do that thing that my teacher showed me and he was like have at it I have no idea what you're doing it's uh-huh. fine <laughs> and I would go online and I would find the um my my first and sort of most hardcore internet community starting from just these visits to my uncle's house to logging on was was Kevin Smith's message boards for the View Askew Productions um wow. website so like Kevin Smith the film director his he had a he had a website for his production company the production company had message boards and like I was like I like those movies this is where I want to meet people and then when I was like 14 an aunt um had set aside some money for me for college and I just spent it on a computer and I, and I got a computer in my family's laundry room and just spent every waking hour trying to meet new people and learn what the world outside of a high school was like. I mean, yeah, that's definitely early adoption. Uh, That, that is, that's, that's impressive. And it's, it's interesting just coming from a place of like, for you to have that exposure in a place that would not necessarily seem to offer it as yeah. early as it did feels like kismet almost like seems like it could have you know gone unknown to you and oh than, for real yeah. no I I mean I remember the like I went to some student thing for sophomores and there was one sophomore for every high school in Maine at this thing and I remember we all like some of us walked around to get email addresses of other people and there were seven people of all of the sophomores sent from Maine who had email addresses. So like this was like a very early time for the commercial internet. Like everyone, every time you talk about it being early, someone will always be like, well, we had a BBS service in 1987 in my dorm. And it's like, that's great fucking Bill Nye, but like we're not, that's what (laughs) we're talking about. But um, it was like a very early time for sort of like commercial adoption. And so, um, yeah, that's like where I 
learned ever i mean i remember going onto message boards and being like i love whatever the most popular mainstream metal band was at that time and, and people would be like well that's cool but like here are all of their influences and so yeah that, that so like that kind of reverse engineering the universe from all of the signifiers that were immediately in front of me and then learning that those were built on entire universes and foundations um felt extremely promising. I was going to say, that's a very hopeful experience. Like looking backwards is can truly be such a hopeful experience thinking forwards. Um, yeah. And it can be the reverse as well. For and sure. Be super disheartening. <laughs> but um, did you feel then like, you know, I mean, this conversation comes up a lot, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it. But when you are really enjoying the internet as a resource outside of an environment that doesn't feel particularly healthy or particularly encouraging, at least mm. not with with your peer groups. Um, do, did you feel like it was harder to be exposed to some of the like negative, like the places where people are now like, well, all my bullies live on the internet. Oh, <laughs> sure, I mean? sure, like, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think like, I don't know. It didn't there was certainly some places where I would end up online where there was like in like real intense like gatekeepery behaviors or or almost like yeah just kind of its own form of bullying or its own own form of like you're not cool enough to be here and uh, I just felt so spoiled by the embarrassment of riches of community that there existed for possibility that I was like well okay if this if it's not working on this one place I'll just go to some other place like this all is a grand alternative to what's in front of me every day in my quote in real life time yeah so yeah I I what I didn't first see I guess is the fact that we would be we would eventually become cursed with being online all the time and that it would never be a thing where you would go over here and then you know uh, go into your laundry room, your mildewy smell, you know, laundry room, boot up the computer. It would be, you know, six minutes from putting the on button on to the computer, getting up and ready to like dialing up to like whatever. It, it, it never struck me that there would be a point where everyone would be online because for me, it was such a sanctuary away mm. from everyone. Absolutely. Absolutely. Did you have in, in terms of your personal relationships when you were in high school, um, did you still have sounds like there were some folks that you could kind of relate mm. to? I mean, were you dating? Did, was there was any of that feeling like it was oh, close yeah. enough at hand? Yeah, I I everything I realized I realized this only recently that like everything I just couldn't do anything in my school. I couldn't. I, but it was weird. I was like strangely involved from a student level. I, I, um, was always on student council and like sold as like a representative from student council, sold food at like basketball games and like, and like was the president of our class for a couple of years. Like I, I was, I was involved in a way that I can't quite understand in retrospect. Um, because come my senior year, uh, my, my father was increasingly in and out of being sick throughout my high school time. Mm. And that kind of impacted, um, uh, impact or influence, like what, how present I was able to be at school, I think a lot of the time. And I, I skipped so many years of my senior year that it's actually, through like forging notes that I had to like do X, Y, or Z for like with yeah. my, with my father and his stuff that I don't even know how I graduated from high school. Like I, mm. I was like at once extremely involved in a lot of ways and then not involved at all in, in other ways. And that manifested with, you know, my first serious girlfriend 
was a girl from a school 30 miles away who I would go to the mall and like hang out at the mall by way of finding out which of my friend's parents had some responsibility out in Portland that they needed to drive to and getting a ride with my friend's parents who would drop me off at the mall in an open-ended way. And I'd be like, well, I guess I'll just find my way back. Um, And often I'd like as a teenager would like stay at like older mall employees houses so that really? like I could yeah it was fucking wild oh my god but, like, that's crazy so my social ecosystem became the mall and I ended up dating this woman uh she was a girl at the I don't know the terminology like she, she was 16 so I was 15 amazing if you just dumped on me that she was like 32 just, and like managed the Victoria's Secret my, I did have like so many age inappropriate relationships when I was a teenager but the um um oh god yeah but my first like this is my girlfriend like we're gonna like go to a prom together yeah she was 16 i was 15 she worked at pretzel time Amazing. she was a cheerleader she worked at pretzel time i just shout out to any business that just <laughs> does the thing that it sells along with telling you it's time for that thing yeah <laughs> like it's pretzel that's, time it's pretzel so, time if you want to so smell like and salt brilliant. and artificial butter uh that's what time it is <laughs> what about candle time well then it's yeah. time for you to go buy a candle pay attention keep it's up so everybody good. it's so good <laughs> wait so, so good. you cannot drop that nugget when, oh god yeah i had so many like i had they were like a lot of them just started online and then and then oh, i was never like i ne- it just never because i so because I was raised by my father, who was a generation older than other parents of mine, he, you know, and and I describe our relationship like I just lived with an old man who would who would yell a lot. Like that's mm-hmm. basically kind of like what our relationship was because we had kind of the negative like codependent stuff that I I touched on earlier, but also he just like was too old to be an attentive parent, and yeah. so often I was like. I was kind of like half a feral kid. And so it never struck me, you know, if I was having some whatever flirtation turned more than flirtation with someone online, where if I found out they lived in Boston, I'd be like, well, I'll take a bus and like, we'll just like be together here and there. Um, yeah. And so that happened with a student uh, at one of the, the, the Boston colleges. I, I had a, a relationship that, um, was extremely uh in in retrospect ill-advised but i i don't think it was like predatory by any means on the on the part of the person i think she was going through some stuff but with like i was 15 and she was 21 or 22 and like there was like that kind of thing and i i took a bus to go see her where she was at um yeah there was so much and then there was a lot of like uh i don't know like my in in so many ways like uh, I, Carolyn and I just started rewatching only season two of Friday Night Lights for no reason whatsoever, because uh-huh. um, it's the worst one and it's entertaining <laughs> and how bad it is. And like I, I'll, I'll sometimes I'll talk with people about that and people will be like, "Oh, the dramas of those kids are seemingly so inflated." And I'm like, "I'm like, nah. I was always, I was always like a teenage boy who had inappropriate relationships with wow. older women. <laughs> like That's for and so for for a while. I think like until I was." I think until I was 21, I there would often be a situation in which I had at least one foot in a relationship that was certainly, um, if not age inappropriate, it was inappropriate for what I was able to actually bring to that relationship. Well, and it, it, there's something, I mean, that's really interesting because it seems like, you know, you were acting out on this desire like those rep those relationships 
seem like they represent open doors to yeah, the future. Yeah, for sure. Like oh, they just easy. represent like, wait, what if I could just, what if I could just be in the future now? Like, totally. wh- like why, why can't well, I took... feel like that? I'm, I'm, I'm that age and why can't no, I, I move around the country as if I'm that age and why, you know? It took so long. And I think I have, I have great empathy for people who are just like still learning because I think we all should be still learning or whatever. But it took, you know, to the point of what you just said, I think so many of my relationships with people, I certainly like enjoyed the person. I like loved the whatever. Like I would sometimes like fall in love with the person. And this just goes even for friends. Like I I loved the friend or whatever. And I certainly like saw them as like a fully three-dimensional person. But there was a thing set in me young from like, I need to get the fuck out of here that yeah. saw everything it, subconsciously in the back of my mind, every 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 uh, opportunity, every job, every sort of relationship with a person or whatever was certainly played some role again subconsciously in I need to get the fuck out of here absolutely and, and it's, like this and it's could a be total the way. both and it's to- yeah. total both and like it's it, we can't pretend like the people that we love dearly are not part of a context like that's just not totally. really how we exist in this space and dimension as we understand it at this point like yeah absolutely you know? I think that that's I think that that's right on and I and I often feel like I'm like I think if I ever get the impulse to think like, what was this person's like motivations? Like it doesn't seem like they were sort of like fully as whatever into it on the front end or, or coming from the place that they said they were or whatever. Often if I then switch that around to go like, what were my motivations? I can't usually consciously identify what they were, which means that like something else might've been going on as well. So I, I, I do think that, um, um, you know, I do think that like part of like growing older or maturing is starting to form a conscious relationship with what your motivations are. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And I guess I'm I, the one thing I want to ask, too, is like within this knowledge and desire to not be where you were and to know that there was more out there and to start exploring that stuff. Did you have a sense of who like professional future Alex was going <laughs> no, to be or that not. wasn't yeah so it wasn't no. like you were like I know I'm gonna become a doctor and go to da 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 or like I'm gonna be a, a creative writer who travels the world and right. no, writes no, no, about no. my life yeah no I didn't so again this is one of those things that I came into late and I and I don't know when people typically come into it but because so much of me was defined by I need to get the fuck out of here um, and not like I need to become a person. Like, I think like I had assumed that whoever I was, was who I was. Mm-hmm. Right. And I was like, me and that person need to move forward and, and find opportunities or whatever. And, and so, so much of my, um, life at that point was defined by what I was doing in service, like almost like I was disembodied in the, like the person who I was, was kind of like in the backseat and I'm like bringing that person along and kind of doing stuff for that person. And, and so, so I thought that like travel was incredibly important because like people, the, the people I was talking about earlier who I wanted to like, not be like, didn't, didn't put value in travel or curiosity or whatever. So travel became important, but it became like kind of important only because it was not the other thing. Right. You know, and so many, again, so much of 
getting into my 30s and now I'm over my 30s, I'm 40 now, but so much of my 30s was going, okay, how much of what I was doing in my 20s was a reflexive response to, you know, was like running away from something or running towards something? Yeah. You know, how much of it was in service of response versus how much of it was in service of like actually figuring out who and what I am? Yeah. I didn't know. I mean, I knew like at 12, I wanted to be a director of films that which replaced my design to be a special effects like the guy who made sort of like goopy latex you know splatter special effects in movies (laughs) and then after that it was like just like I think I vaguely wanted to be a writer because I knew the writers who I knew um were professionally curious broadly about things that weren't just like immediately in front of them yeah um but I think that like really what I was indicating was I want to be professionally curious yeah I also love that you had like and again I'm I'm sure I'm like reading too much into this accidentally while not planning on reading into it at all um (laughs) that's the best way to read into things (laughs) thank you (laughs) um is that you had this affection for Kevin Smith who seems very accessible in the sense that here he is like a legit, you know, indie, got his own, you know, take on things, um, director who's also making himself accessible to young people, Mm -hmm. not sort of like closing the door behind him, and yet is also kind of known for making movies about places where not that much is going on. And I think that's, there's something so lovely about that. Like you weren't like, I look up to Ridley Scott, this sort of like godlike, who even is this person? The movies that he's making are art form, you know, it's it's, it's art. It may not be completely accessible or understandable, but that's what's appealing about it or Kubrick or someone like that. And And to feel that affinity towards someone who's like, hey, I wrote what I know. It's yeah. not that interesting, but well, I mean, it was it interesting. Like, come along I with me. I feel like, be, like growing up in the 90s was handy because they, there was that like blip that was sort of seen as a, as, as a celebrated, uh, you know, there was like, there was what was called like 90s indie, indie cinema. And there were a lot of conversations about what was possible in movies where so like the 70s independent movie thing as as you well know is like it happened because of a flux in power at studios and then the 90s one was the kinds of people who would make a movie whether or not it was guaranteed distribution would just make it and then they would find these avenues for distribution unfortunately the the biggest champions of those those avenues for distribution were you know giant bullies and and worse in in the form of the Weinsteins that was so meaningful to me because of exactly what you just said like you could see creators who were who were artists but they were not inaccessible in their lifestyle or literally inaccessible i when yeah. i was 15 years old i i don't know why i got so into there was like a a series of tornadoes that happened in the southwest and i i was like i got to raise funds for this at my school and so i walked around it with a bucket and just had everyone give their money for i wouldn't let go of the bucket for a week and everyone put money in the bucket and i think we raised like $500 and i called Kevin Smith's office and was like, Hey, I'm like on your message boards. I just am raising this money for this thing. Will you guys match it? And Kevin Smith matched the money. So like, it it was like, it was like one thing to go from being like, these people are, are resonant 
um, with like my experience one way or another, like the the whole the the myth or maybe truth I don't know is that he he funded clerks on twenty seven thousand dollars of credit cards, and that felt real impossible. But yeah. then also like he was like literally for a blip and for a second like an actual figure in my life. Like yeah. I had a check from him that went to this um, that went to or or you know money money was given from his office for this thing that I was doing, and so it yeah. made them real in a way. God, that goes, a, yeah, it really goes a long way towards connecting you with possibilities. Um, something like that can just completely change your conversation with, and again, the, the internet, it completely can change your conversation with what's oh possible. My God. Well, I had, I had friends who were, you know, who were advocates for like creating a small, a small business community or like a startup community or whatever in Maine. And like people could do X, Y, or Z. And like, you could start a business, you could start a business in Maine and sort of like make it, make it big and live in Maine, whatever. They like had this like entrepreneur mindset and all that shit, you know, and they would want to talk to kids at school about this and get them thinking that way or whatever. And I was like, uh, I remember one friend in particular, I was like, your dad ran a hospital. Like you have to understand, like you you saw that that was possible young. I grew up in a yeah. town where the big business was like your dad had forestry equipment and like you guys would like clear clear stuff or like a or like a big business was you own two sandwich shops. Like that's yeah. that's what I knew and it wasn't until I started to identify later with these these artists who were kind of making big things with 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 very very small amounts of resources that I understood that any of that was potentially even possible for someone uh, like me. Absolutely. And the last thing I want to say before I get into this uh, mash game is, um, at, at the risk of being you know just totally wrong and off. You are self-aware in the that wonderful Buddhist sense of like, you know, talking about how unself-aware you are. Um, and at the end of the day, you know, if you had had one age quote inappropriate um, thing going on <laughs> with, a, with an older woman when you were when you were that young, uh, I would maybe write it off and be like, oh, yeah, maybe she was sort of underdeveloped in some way. But, right, right, right. you know, we all understand the cliches about how much women emotionally develop before uh, sure. young straight men do or young queer men who sure, sure. don't know they're queer or, you know, however, or do know or what, however you want to think about that. But in a very conventional, like, do not, you know, Pasco, do not collect $200, like, very, like, these are the rules. Boys mature slower right. than girls. Um, it, it, for all of that, like, I feel like you... There was something going on there that was, like, very emotionally mature and available because, like you were sort of having the experience that many young women that age were having for better or for worse, which was that they were looking past their sure. peer groups going, I need more. I need something that feels more, you know, connected or something that feels someone who feels like they've gotten a little further in their own emotional life development. And so, you know, there you, you were, there was, you were developing early emotionally, <laughs> you know, even as you're then talking about being in your twenties and be, you know, running towards or, or away from something like there was stuff going on where these women, these young women felt mm. like heard or seen or listened to or, or known in some way by this more, you know, more of a kiddo than, yeah. whereas yeah. like someone that's your peer you know, a 14 year old girl would be looking at that 16 year old boy being like, Ugh, grow yeah. up. Well, I like, think I think like a common denominator in a lot of those relationships is those the the people who they had just been with um, yeah. were were not great. Uh, yeah. yeah. 
<laughs> and so, and I just, I just rewatched the Little you were Mermaid. A healing balm. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think I was trying. I, I just watched the Little Mermaid, which you know is ultimately about, um, uh, about a young girl who's trying to flee uh, her very op- oppressive father. <laughs> Yeah. And so yeah. I think often often like when you meet when you when you're at a particular age and you meet other you meet people who uh you don't always see the person you see someone who represents an alternative to what you're used to and you're like, right. oh, I'll see what this is all about." Okay, we're going to take a break. I will be back after a word from our wonderful buddies at Maximum Fun. The following pro wrestling contest is scheduled for one fall. Making their way to the ring from the Tights and Fights podcast are the baddest trio of audio, the hair to beware, Danielle Radford. It really is great hair. The Brit with a permit to hit, Lindsay Kell. The queen is dead, long live the queen. And the fast talking, fist clocking, Hal Uplin. See, I can wrestle and be an announcer. Get ready for tights and fights. Listen every Saturday or face the pain. Find us on Maximum Fun. No ring the bell. I'm Emily Heller. And I'm Lisa Hannawalt. And we're the hosts of Baby Geniuses. We've been doing our podcast for over 10 years. When we started, it was about trying to learn something new every episode. Now it's about us trying to actively get stupider. And it's working. (laughs) Hang out with us and you'll hear us chat about... Gardening. Horses. Various problems with our butts. And all the weird stuff that makes us horny. That's so weird, all that stuff. (laughs) Baby Geniuses, a show for adult idiots. Every other week on Maximum Fun. Baby Geniuses, we know everything. I need to do the Smash game with you. I've I've let it. I I mean, listen. I'm trying try not to take too long with this, but um, I tried to start earlier. But I knew I would want to talk to you for 11 hours. So, as expected. I'm glad that it worked as out. As expected. Well, let's start because of you are good. Let's start out with our three movies that you can jump into and just be in that world with those characters without having to relive the plot step by step. Okay, Clerks. Great. In honor of our conversation so far. Yeah. Dazed and Confused. Great. This, this is very of a time, I'm realizing, as I say this third one. Friday. This oh, is my like God. Great. Two years in the 90s we're talking about. I know. No kidding. Had you thought, had you put that together until you no. realized you were saying that? No, going like, no, oh, no. Well, I guess. I just, <laughs> I'm seeing my here. 12-year-old self watching all of those movies and being like, hell yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, great. To that end, let's do three artists of any kind, musical, uh, you know, fine arts, filmmaking, writing, from any age, any era, alive or dead, that you get to in this kind of magical world where time is not a thing, uh, okay. collaborate with on something. Oh, wow. Okay. I will say um, uh, Keith Haring. Great. Um, uh, who who do I want to choose here? Oh, uh, Leonora Carrington who I, I love so much and think about a whole lot. And then maybe thematically in the Keith Haring department, let's say Jean-Michel Basquiat. I just realized, like, <laughs> I really have the sort of, like, can't separate the lens of anyone Emma Thompson who's, has ever played immediately. <laughs> and I'm like, I love Carrington. Oh I love her so much. And then I was like, oh, 
I think like 80% of that for me is just my knowledge of, of that artist through Hell yeah, <laughs> Thompson's you know, depiction Sometimes of that happens. Ah. <laughs> uh, okay. I think in, that about Diego Rivera, who I oh, can't remember who absolutely. portrayed Rivera in The Cradle Will Rock, but they did yeah. such a good job that I just think of that portrayal yeah. and not the fact that like Rivera was like difficult. <laughs> oh, yeah. Once, so that's funny because I think of it as Alfred Molina in oh, Frida, yeah, totally which the, the like yeah. I go to that place. I'm like, I mean, I do listen. I do love Alfred Molina. <laughs> like, yeah, Janet, yeah, yeah. remove yeah. yourself for one second. That's the influence. Yeah. That's the influence. Cut that's to wise. like, you know. Emma's playing like just someone horrible and I'm like they had a point (laughs) they did they They had a point it's fine oh yeah yeah okay next one let's do three bands or singer songwriters or composers that create a soundtrack for your life kind of spontaneously as it's unfolding in the moment there's just Mm. this music that accompanies these moments in your life that you're like well that's perfect Okay, I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go with um, bands in particular that I was listening to at that time. Right, is, is that I can feel I like can paint this. So one, and I had a hockey jersey also with their uh, emblem on the front of it. White Zombie. Great. And that's Shout one person I'm gonna pick. Shout out to Rob, Robbie B, Robbie Z. I don't know where B came from. <laughs> Wonderful, wonderful person. Wonderful person. <laughs> wonderful. Love a Robin a Sherry. They used Absolutely. to be a big part of my life. So I have oh nothing my God. but like, I love, love and joy for them. Beyond all else, icons of hair. Hair icons. Absolutely. Both of them. Forevermore. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, um, uh, White Zombie, um, Led Zeppelin. Great. Uh, and uh, the, this, uh, this uh, pop punk band from the 80s, Screeching Weasel. Oh, <laughs> amazing. Good time. Okay. All right. Uh, next one, let's do three places in the world that we will give you a, another home to teleport to. Oh, wow. Um, I really, like, I was, uh, I've, I've been to London a couple of times and been taken by how much I enjoyed London. Gosh, me too. Me uh, too. Love London. Uh, Chicago. Really like, really like Chicago a lot. I do too. Uh, it's a great, it's a great place. Um, and where else will be another place I've been to professionally a number of times for funny reasons over over the years is Portugal. So I'll say that. Oh, I've never been to Portugal. I would love to go to Portugal. It's a good time. Yeah, that's definitely like a why don't I already know Portuguese and will I ever know Portuguese? And I'm not expecting myself to, but I hope to surprise myself and like really follow up that language. I think it's the most beautiful language. Yes. Uh, Okay. It's great. It's a good spot. Okay. Wonderful. All right. Next one. All due respect to Carolyn. This Mm. is a mash game. I will need some romantic partners or sexy times partners for longevity or brief in this alternate universe characters, real people, fake people, living people, dead people, whatever you want. So again, going with the time, I would say Heather Graham, uh, straight uh, roller girl from Boogie Nights. Yeah, that was, uh, yeah. Um, uh, Oh, what? Who is her? Who is that? Who plays Amber Waves in that? The um, oh, Julianne uh, Moore. Julianne Moore. Julianne Moore. Yep, I'll take Julianne Moore as well. And then I will say a uh, a, a young Joaquin Phoenix. Mm-hmm. 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 From those days. I'm so glad he still doesn't go by Leaf. Yeah, he did the right thing. He did the right thing. Okay. Uh, next one, let's do three alternate universe careers. And, you know, we're, we're giving you the highlights out of what you have to deal with the slog. Unless you uh, want to deal with the slog because it makes the highlights better. In totally. which case, great. You get it all. 
I'll take the special effects makeup guy. Yes, please. I was I really to live hoping that, out. that would come back. <laughs> get to live that out. That's I excellent. think there's a universe in which I do that too. I freaking love special effects. Oh my god. Another so another like I a person was fake and then they were real was um a friend of mine worked with the special effects makeup god Tom Savini on a job and then just was like, Hey Tom, can my friend who's fifteen from Maine just call you at your house? And he was like, Yeah. And then I just called Tom Savini and he just talked at me for twenty minutes about all the movies he'd he'd done. That's um, so cool tremendous so okay so special effects guy like my hero tom savini let's see head of hr i feel like is a job that i would be weirdly good at and then um writer for the wwe amazing amazing (laughs) that really is a moment where you're like that moment where you're like oh there's writers yeah they're oh, there's doing writers. Oh, there's storytellers. I just oh, read a crap. book by one of their by one of their head writers, and it was um, uh, not good. <laughs> I was about to ask if you would recommend it, so thank no. you. There's a lot of books by wrestlers uh, about wrestling about that whole universe uh, that I would happily recommend, and I yeah. was surprised to find that one oh, written by one of their no. head writers was not a book I'd read again. Uh, oh no no no. <laughs> Okay. All right. Have you ever done tights and fights? The um, there's a Max Fun. Uh, there's a no. great Max Fun podcast about uh, wrestling no. that my producer Julian produces, and one of my dear dear friends Hal Lublin co-hosts with two I, other phenomenal. That's women. great. I came into pro wrestling like history at 39. Yeah. Yeah. And M does obsessed. not matter. Yeah. Oh my God. You got to do it. I, I'll, I'll connect you with them. Thank you. I I don't really follow wrestling, but I did enough. Um, and would do anything with those guys. And, and I had such an amazing time just like dipping Good in. Good to know. Thank okay, you. Second to last category. Let's do three uh, things that you guys have not covered on your wrong about. Um, but they can either be on the roster, but you don't have to reveal that, I guess. Um, or just like stuff that you have a suspicion you don't know enough about. Like my w- one of my things for that is like, uh, there's still a lot I need to unlock about the Berlin Wall. I just, oh, sure. I know that there is like stacks of things that I'm going to fascinatedly read at some point about the Berlin Wall. So you know what I mean? So totally. some, yeah. not necessarily you're wrong about, but like essentially stuff that would fit kind of into that category. Of yeah. Like, so oh, five things. Yeah. Uh, three. Um, three things. Okay. So one is the Wonderland murders, which yeah. is kind of spoken to in Boogie Nights, my favorite movie from my teenage that I should probably know more about. Um, one, it would be a Iran Contra. I feel like, I think there might be a, I think there might be a hero about, about this. I still don't know. Good. Oh, there are, there, there already is. <laughs> yeah, and I just don't know what is going on. Um, um, and then the, the third, let's see. Um, I know a thing that people request often because they really liked Sarah and Carolyn's uh, take of Karen Carpenter and mm. and of of uh, uh, Fleetwood Mac. A, a lot of people request. I, I this is a request I'm very much on the side of is a Mama Cass uh, uh, episode. Was, I, that's exactly who I thought you would say after. And Sarah. I would, yeah, that's that's one that gets requested often. She's someone who I'm happy to see. 
she has like such a fascinating role in the like Manson murder stuff that mm-hmm. is like covered pretty extensively in in You Must Remember This. Yeah. Um she shows up in the Tarantino movie. Um I I I feel like the culture is like getting closer to giving mm-hmm. her some some three-dimensional attention. So There's yeah, a great book called Laurel Canyon uh Ooh. that's a that's a nonfiction book that um I I listen to the audiobook cuz I consume a tremendous amount of audiobooks traveling mm-hmm. and stuff. Highly recommend Definitely, she is a central figure in that as well as this connector who introduced all of these different musicians to each other and like fostered like, I bet you two would love to play together. And then they become these like iconic bands. So I could not agree more. I I cannot wait for that that conversation to hopefully happen. Okay, And then final category, let's do three foods that you can have with zero consequences to yourself or the environment or anyone, animals, you name it. Uh, Snap of your fingers. And uh, it's not the only thing you're eating. I can just conjure it for you whenever you feel like it. Sure. I will take uh, fish and chips. Just just look at me. Um, (laughs) Like a a doughy (laughs) Scottish guy. Um, (laughs) So that's one of them. Um, uh, God. Like meatloaf that I grew up on specifically because I grew up on it. I don't know why meatloaf was always such a was always such a delight. And then fried chicken. Yeah. No sweet tooth happening in these. Uh, I am. A, I'm a crazy sweet. I like I went to my friend Eve's last night and she had just like had a game night and just had bags and bags of, of gummy stuff. Uh-huh. And it was the most dangerous environment I've ever been in. <laughs> I'm like I overwhelmingly a sweet tooth, but like if it's like if it's stuff that I feel like, you know, I for some reason also I feel as I get older, it's those it's those savory heavy mm-hmm. treats are the ones that do me. In. No, I am too. This is you really picked some good stick to your rib stuff that uh, yeah, that absolutely. I heartily appreciate. That some of which feels like, wait, are we in the middle of winter in Scotland right now? What's yeah. happening? <laughs> uh, felt very real all of a sudden. Okay, uh, give me a word that you feel helps describe. Um, like listening to a really great song. Oh wow! Um, understood. Great. Okay, I, hope I that am works. going to. It absolutely does. Uh, I am going to come up with this one hundred percent guaranteed alternate universe mash life future reality. Um, if you would like to guide people towards things you're excited about, are a part of, are not a part of, whatever you want, this is your vamp time. That can also be completely <laughs> excised from the podcast uh, if you don't feel like saying anything, and we will come back as if no time has passed. Okay, cool. So uh, right now I'm talking about I'm just saying things that I think people would be interested in. I would love for you, dear listener. To check out You Are Good, a feelings podcast about movies. Uh, That's where Sarah Marshall and I talk about movies. And uh, really, at the end of the day, we talk about it as a means of getting to the bottom of our feelings. Uh, Because if I were to tell you we're going to talk about our feelings, you wouldn't listen. Yes, 100%. Also, of course, as you mentioned, Sarah has been on the podcast. And there is threat of me eventually being on you are good. Yeah, you're going to be on You Are Which Good by the like, end of this I f- year. It's I fear absolutely going to happen. I that it will be like a five hour episode because I will not let you. I'm, we will just like crack something open that the three of us will be like, well, I'm all <laughs> that for was it. a day. Totally. Uh, all, we knew, I mean, I like, I uh, I feel like you're, you're very much one of our people, meaning. Um, it's potentially dangerous for us all to get that's how, together. That's how I feel about everything I'm involved with and, and you guys. So I'm, it's very flattering that the feeling is mutual. Oh, my God. It's the okay. truth. All right. I'm almost done. Give me one second. People, you might not know that uh, Jan and I met on a boat 
we knew about each other beforehand, but we yes. were on the Joko cruise. We met there. And um, I would say if uh, if you're going to be stuck on a boat with anybody, Janet is a good person to be stuck on a boat with. As and are... I, you. <laughs> we had so many, so many great folks uh, to hang with. We had Open Mike Eagle, which was great, and uh, Video Dave, and um, uh, Mark Evan Jackson, who was a real treat to get to know that yeah. dude, who like is like, like almost his the way he occupies media is you're like, is there a person behind that? Yes. Or is it it's almost like Phil Hartman where like people yeah. who knew Phil Hartman was like, I don't yeah. think that there was a person behind it. Like, I think right. that it was just all right. what he was doing out front. And then it was hard to know inside. Right. I kind of got that feel from, from Mark from the outside. And then you meet him and you're like, wow, there's like a, such a sweet oh man behind, He's a behind all this. He's a <laughs> he is a little kitten. kitten. I have known him since before. Any of that had cracked open for him, and he and I. Very few people, other than Thrilling Adventure Hour fans, knew uh, who he was, and it has been my God very interesting to see the way all of that has sort of blossomed outward from this person that I'm like, oh my God, because he he's he my gained guy. like sizable recognition at like fifty. Right. Like it's like yeah. it, and wasn't not yeah. working before that, but was yeah. just yeah, it yeah, was yeah. was being appreciated by smaller pockets of people. Yes. You know, and and then, you know, you'd see him in in sketch things that got traction. And then and then he was, you know, then he was the person everyone knew from network yeah. television. Really fascinating. Yeah. Stuff. yeah, it's 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 wonderful. But yes, he I feel like oh, your he, social oh, circle of people that you're funny that. with are are lovely people. Oh, they're great. Yeah, I could. I. That's yeah, that's the thing that Hollywood taught me early, which was like coming down with zero positive expectations. But knowing I had friends who had come down here who I thought were geniuses, whether they were working or not, and Mm. finding like, you know, it's like it's so sad when I have to be reminded of like the complete bullshit, sad shit that happens here that is absolutely part of the business, because it's very easy to sort of like put blinders on and then just see a bunch of people who are like wonderful and creative sure. and warm and vulnerable and great and um it's a it's a city of many faces my goodness is it a city it really of is faces. it really is yeah I, I think people are often surprised and i think i think like part of the nature of of my work which is like manager and and guy who makes podcasts and shows up on podcasts sometimes m- makes I have like a little more freedom in my interactions and stuff with people. But like, I think people are often surprised by the fact that like, I only for the most part, and I'm a male, I need to underscore in this business, but like, I only have lovely interactions with people. And if I don't, I stop having interactions with them. Like that's kind of like what defines this, my time in this space as a person who's 40. Um, And it's a place where like if that is your rule you can sort of be around a bunch of lovely people a lot of time not a hundred percent of the time but like I think people often find when I first came here in 2007 2008 I was ready to hate it because I was from New England and was shocked (laughs) at how many absolutely like lovely wholesome interactions I had with people here it was crazy yeah it really is it's like when people are like ugh LA it's so superficial I'm like oh that LA a hundred percent yes 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 yes. superficial LA yes yes Yes. terrible yes but then these LA's definitely Um, exactly okay I have your mash future Um, very excited about it feeling pretty good about it 
I'm just going to go ahead and start by plunking down a beautiful home for you. You got a house uh, in Portugal. Oh, great. I cannot wait to come visit and just (laughs) do some immersion learning of the Portuguese (laughs) language with the Portuguese people. Um, No offense. All due respect to Brazil, but where I've always felt drawn is Portugal. Mm when we speak of uh, when we speak of portuguese of course um okay i also want to congratulate you on your ability to pop into dazed and confused whenever you want with all those characters that's the one i would be most excited about just from a personal standpoint um i for no other reason than just like the feeling that i get from that movie Mm -hmm. is just a like it's just that that's the feeling i would pick not even like the characters but just like the feeling um so it's very amorphous choice but very excited that you got that um i feel like some of those characters uh whether they're like directly familiar with it or not would still be very excited that you're a writer for wwe i just think (laughs) that that is something that is like very very cool um I don't know how that fits in with your uh, collaboration with Basquiat. Oh, wow. But that is a whole other avenue that you're going to be able to explore artistically and creatively. Very excited about that. All of this can be enjoyed with some delicious fried chicken on the side with zero ramifications to yourself or anyone. So feel free to dig into that. Sounds like you're going to be very busy, so you're probably going to have a a pretty good appetite. Um, (laughs) Excited for you to better understand the Iran-Contra scandal, whether that does or does not involve the show you produce and the information that may or may not have been distributed from that. You will understand, uh, have a deeper understanding of it. You are accompanied by all of uh, through all of this by uh, a soundtrack from none other than Screeching Weasel. Oh, great! So that's how I'm glad that's where we landed. And uh, and you have uh, ended up with the delightful Heather Graham, circa oh. Roller Girl era. I, 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 you know, she's she's gonna roll with all of this. She's gonna roll with all of this. <laughs> I didn't even mean to say roll. That's I'm gross. glad you did. But I'm what? glad you that's, did. That's an example of the brain just following the thing. Like that's basically the example of when you find yourself unconsciously saying things like, and I was totally blind to it to a blind person. And then you're like, oh, God. And they're like, oh, no. And, oh, and every no. person does that. And they're like, why would I say that? And the blind person is like, because I'm blind. Oh, and your God. brain is processing that information. <laughs> Poorly. And you're using all the metaphors you shouldn't for that exact reason. Um, Okay, so I feel great about this. I hope that you are also excited about it. It is a damn fine MASH world. And uh, I look forward to hopefully seeing you in real life, maybe with some sort of a a game or catching of someone else's show or something like that. That sounds Um, fantastic. And I have a book to give you because you supported the JV Club in that little window when I was like just offering various things and you get to you get a Cora book that you get to maybe we can uh, maybe we can play the Monopoly card game with Dante and Alice I would I need I need emotional Those support sharks. to get through that Those sharks. <laughs> oh it makes me so angry how good at that they are Those I love it and they're, and they're always dressed like like um they're always dressed like a villain couple from um um <laughs> uh, from what's the Don Johnson cop show from the 80s <laughs> Miami Vice. They're always dressed like a they villain are. couple from Miami Vice. They're which is always great. about to jump on a speedboat and drive away <laughs> with like a safe. 
<laughs> they're like the hottest Full of monopoly money. They're the hottest monopoly sharks I've ever met. Oh my god! And they're married now. They got married. I can. I love that so much. Yeah. That's so nice. Yeah. I, that makes me very happy. Uh, totally in. We will make this happen. And uh, it, please give my love to your wonderful partner who was also oh recently on the podcast and who Hell yeah. I decided to crack apart. And create a gulf of boys of summer so that she could be on in the summer. I will invite you to sing any snippet of Don Henley's Boys of Summer that you may or may not know or a snippet of any other song that speaks summer to you. Into it. I'm into it. Thank you so much for having me. No, you have to do it right now. Oh, I don't know the. I don't know the. <laughs> sorry, sorry. I don't know the lyrics to Boys of Summer. You don't have to. Is there a song that you think of that's kind of like a summer song for you? I could just come up. Let me just come up with what I think the Please. lyrics to Boys of Summer Please. are. Please, even better. That has been done, and we're at some of my most cherished moments on the. You're podcast. looking at the boys. They're the boys of summer over there under the sun. I I don't know these words to the boys of summer. <laughs> Thanks for thanks for letting me do that. <laughs> You're looking at him. Uh, all right, everybody. I will talk to you next time on the podcast. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>Show is recorded by me and edited by Julian Burrell. And as always, the JV Club theme song is Back Before We Were Brittle by the amazing Say Hi. Hey, you're number one. We could save kittens from trees. Maximum fun. A worker-owned network of artist-owned shows. Supported directly by you.